welcome back to the latest edition of the Redbird Report. Um, it's a new season out there. We got men's basketball, women's basketball starting. Uh, first, I should introduce my co-host, though. Mikey, how's it going? Good. How are you, Jake? Uh, it's okay. It's a new time for us. It is Wednesday a new time. morning. Got a lot of sports going on. Uh, first of all, men's basketball. They ended up beating North Carolina Wilmington last night, uh, 68 to 63. It was a it was a rough game, to say the least. Yeah, you were there in person. I was not, but I looked over some stuff afterwards, and it looked like, I mean, I liked, first and foremost, I liked the starting lineup. The starting lineup looked a little bit more like what I think we'll see going forward with Antonio Reeves and Mark Freeman, uh, Josiah Strong, Cy Chapman, and Kendall Lewis. And Coach Muller had talked after that exhibition against Davenport that the reason why you didn't see Antonio Reeves in the starting lineup was because of some kind of off-court thing. Uh, and now, hopefully, that's behind them and they can move forward because Antonio had almost 30 points again. Yeah, 29, uh, that's a career high for him. Just like, it was a good game for Antonio overall, um, but that first half was very, very rough. Um, they were they were only scored six points in the first, uh, I believe it was 10 minutes, through the first 15 minutes. Everyone outside of Antonio Reed was a combined 0 for 12. Antonio was 2 for 5 at that point. I mean, look at the stats here. Like, sorry to cut you off, but the field goal percentage in the first half was 25 versus 43 in the second half. And then three-point percentage is 18 to 43, which is insane. I mean, both to keep your percentages both at around the 40 area in the second half and to go up that much, which is a couple, you know, 20 or so digits. Yeah, I, I was looking at that after the game, and I was like, wow, that's... That's a huge step up, and Muller didn't really give a clear answer why it happened. He like he said there was nerves in the beginning or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, I wonder if that'll be something they're going to have to fight all season long because he said that after the exhibition, too, and he was talking about how Freeman only really stepped up in the second half and the whole team really only stepped up in the second half. Like, Are they going to be a classic second-half team, which I feel like is an opposite of what we've seen in the past from them? Yeah, two things to say about that. The first one is Dan says he hopes once they get like three, four games under the belt, all this will be – the nerves will be gone, it'll be fine. And the other thing about the second-half team is that's huge for this team who was yeah. not good in the second half last year a lot of the time. Um, I, I will – they're not going to be able to start slowly all season, though. It's, it's, no. It'll kill them. Once I mean, you're going to start seeing better opponents yeah. in the Valley especially. I mean, they, their non-conference schedule, I thought Wisconsin's not hard at all. No, I think they could they could go for a little nice roll. Yeah, I'm sure they'll, they'll lose some games. Yeah. Um, yeah, you also mentioned Mark Freeman starting off so in the first half in the exhibition. He kind of had that again last night, too. Uh, I noticed what Mueller was saying about, like, he was jogging during the first half of the exhibition. Mm-hmm. There were times I was watching Freeman, and I was like, he is not giving it 100% right now. Which is weird. Yeah, he's fast. He went, yeah. He's quick. I mean, he's only, what, like 5'10"? Like, they yeah. call they call him, like, what, 5'11", 6 feet? No, I feet? think they had him at 6'0", actually. Did they? Okay, so he's not Okay, he's not very tall compared to the rest of the team. You know, he's tall compared to you and I, but he, he's not very tall compared to the rest of the team, and I think he makes up for that with his explosive speed. Which maybe he's saving that up or something, but I feel like that's not a valid reason at some point. Yeah, I had that same thought process actually yesterday. I was like, maybe he's saving it for later in the game, but I was like, what's the point of saving right. it then if if you were if they're falling behind right 
by that much. Right, like going into halftime down ten. Like what's like you know maybe he came out stronger then, but I mean he still had what eleven points, three assists. Yeah, I mean it's not the ten and ten he had in the game before, but th- again that game was an exhibition. Different things can happen. Antonio Reeves had like thirty five points. Yeah, um, Chapman almost had a double double. He was one point off, nine rebound or nine points, ten rebounds. Um, Josiah Strong had a good game. He didn't. I didn't really like. He put up nine points, like kind of pedestrian. But he, the shots he made were pretty were pretty key shots. They were yeah. pretty important in the moment. Like he made a couple. I want to say he made two big threes. Looks like he went three for seven for a three. But so it means yeah, he still he only had, made threes. Last not a great percentage, but it still looks like he still had some big ones there. Yeah, he did he the only same shot thing before. One shot outside a three pointer, which I find interesting. He's becoming the shooter, I guess. I guess I. I'm very intrigued by this offense because for the second straight day, I saw Antonio not really be uh, – he's he's been off ball this year, yeah. and it's been working actually because like as soon as he gets the ball in his hands, you can he just goes into attack mode kind of. That's got to be the Mark Freeman effect though. That's what mm-hmm. Muller was talking about. Like when you have a true point guard starting in your lineup, like you can play Antonio off ball a little bit more because you're assuming more plays will f- like fly out, I guess. Um whether or not they actually start to execute that. But I, I get that that's their goal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Antonio did carry the ball up for a little bit at some point, mainly because Howard Fleming had five fouls in eight minutes. <laughs> I, he fouled out in eight minutes. I I don't know. I don't know how that, that Rough happened. start. Because he didn't play at all. No, nah, he didn't play at all in the exhibition. And Muller said it was because of that same thing with Antonio. Yeah, but standards yeah. and program or whatever. I think he was basically implying it was athletics. He kept mentioning athletics. So that's what my, or not sorry, academics. academics. I'm sorry, but yeah, academics. That's what he kept saying. So I'm assuming that's what it was. Uh, yeah, Howard had a really rough day. Um, I thought Abdu. He only put up two points. It was 0 for four from everywhere else. Made two free throws, but he had a pretty good game. Um, he made two very key three free throws i mentioned that during my uh during my story how important Mueller found those something i thought was interesting that is uh hirono sissoko is not really been featured this year and he was a big part of their game plan last year at least at the beginning he didn't play a single minute last night yeah weird huh yeah i don't know why um, I mean, I have a feeling this. Like I said at the top of this podcast, like I have a feeling Mueller's starting lineup is going to be pretty similar day to day. Like I think we can expect what we saw last night a lot. For sure. I also think they have a pretty deep team this year. Like, yeah. Like at least in com- maybe not compared to the rest of the league, but compared to the league or to years past for the Redbirds, I would say they have a pretty deep bench. I mean, they got yeah. two dudes that are six ten. You got Ryan Ryan Schmidt who's six eleven, um, Alex Kotov who's six ten, and Liam McChesney's also six ten. So you you got three guys that are at least six ten sitting on your bench. Yeah. And um, women's played last night. They lost to uh, Northern. Yeah, that was seven sixty. Neither uh, of us were able to see that one because of men's and I had class last night. But looking over the box score. I do, I do like Jada Stinson getting 10 points off the bench. Obviously, she's new around that team, and I liked seeing her succeed early on because in that first exhibition game, she was not as successful. For sure. she had some, I mentioned it to you earlier, but she had some frustrations that game. I feel like she she thought she wasn't getting some foul calls. 
Um, do you remember how many she ended up with in that exhibition? I do not, but it was a lot. Um, but yeah, she finished with 10 off the bench. So I find it interesting that they have her coming off the bench. I I really thought I'd we'd see her starting, but it, I guess it makes sense if you really look at this lineup. Mm-hmm. Every one of these players has been here for at least two years. Deanna Wilson didn't really start last year as a no. first-year Redbird. Maya Wong didn't really start as a first-year Redbird. Really, I don't. I don't even know if Juju started as a first-year Redbird. She may have came off the bench also. So it's it's kind of standard to see this from. Uh, yeah, from I mean, Gillespie. in the starting lineup that Gillespie is putting out there, like I was saying about the men's team, like I feel like this lineup here. I mean, Bowman, Wilson, Wong, Crompton, and Remen. Like that's again, that's like their death lineup. I feel like like that's their mm-hmm. best five. So. I mean, it's the first game of the season. You got to go with the best five, and then yeah, seeing Jada Stinson still put in twenty three minutes off the bench, which is more than multiple starters, that that's successful, I'd say. Yeah, that as far as it can be in a loss. Yeah, so, yeah. You mentioned that she played more in starters, which did kind of raise the question to me. I thought maybe she should probably be starting over Kate Bowman. I can see that. What I'm trying to figure out what Bolton plays real quick though, because they may not be matched up positionally, but I want to say they're both guards. Stinson's a guard. Where is Bowman? Well, maybe that is oh, something. She's a forward. Okay, so I guess they're not really that interchangeable. Unless well, they wanted to go small. I mean, we talked before about how Kate Bowman. We've always been. With- you were saying how you've always been waiting for her to kind of like make that step forward. And last night she didn't play the best game. It didn't look like uh, 15 minutes, no points. Only a handful of rebounds. Uh, and I think she's in there to, to try and be successful this season, as you said, and, and so far not a great start. Something else I find interesting, uh, Wilson only played 19 minutes. She also fouled out. Yeah. Uh, not sure. I feel like we saw that at least once or twice last year, too. Maybe we. Did. Maybe I'm wrong. But I th- no, I think she fouled Yeah, I think she definitely points. did. Because she's, she's a good defensive player, but then sometimes you can get caught up in foul trouble because of that. Yeah, she's pretty good in the post, too. I think she's probably going to be – she might be ISU's most important player this year down in the post because we have they have very good guard play. Yeah. I just think the post hasn't been where it's needed to be since Simone Goods graduated. Um, and I, I don't know. She's not the tallest post player for women's, but she she can from what I saw in the exhibition game, she she was able to get down there uh, and make stuff happen around the rim. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else. You got anything else about women's? Nope. I think they'll. I think they'll definitely bounce back, as we talked about. I think they uh, definitely have the talent to be a decent team in the MVC, and I think this is a uh, unsuccessful first game, but showed some signs of having success in the future, like Jada Stinson, multiple points off the bench. For sure. For sure. Um, let's move on to football real quick. They, I, I can't get a read on this team. They really could have made the playoffs if they won out because that loss to Western it just derailed their season pretty much. I mean, first and foremost, got to give it up, big ups to the win. I mean, it was a, I, I don't want to call it a nice win because it was a really sloppy game, but it was a good punting game. I mean, they, oh, yeah. I mean, if you're a big fan of defensive football and you like punting, like that was your game. I mean, I I was able to announce the game, so I was able to really watch it more than I've ever seen many games this season. And I and I saw a lot of good stuff. The defense looked really strong. I loved Zeke Vanderberg coming back in for overtime to make to try and help the defense, and then it ended up working. Um, Jackson Waring actually looked somewhat decent in some moments when he had open targets. I would say, 
it wasn't all his fault because sometimes it seemed like there was no one open to pass to, so he kind of just had to throw it out of play. That that's a really good defense too. It's they were stopping ISU at the line. They couldn't get anything going with the ground game, and their defensive backs were pretty much locking down on the receivers. Um, something interesting that. Um, I thought about that game was Waring is going to be the quarterback for the rest of the year. They've given yeah. up on – I don't know why, but they've given up on Bryce Jefferson. Yeah. I mean, I think Spack kind of kind of alluded to that at some point earlier in the week before the UNI game. He said something like, we're going to look to spread the field a little bit and try mm-hmm. some new things, and I think that will start with Jackson Waring. So I think they've just kind of decided Waring's their guy moving forward. So does that mean Jefferson's going to leave? I, I don't know. I would guess. I mean, he's going to transfer – I mean, you got a guy in Waring who's a year younger than you who they want to start ahead of you. I don't see a reason for Jefferson to want to stick around. I mean, we'd welcome him with open arms if he did, but I also would understand if he left. Yeah, for sure. Something that I thought uh, – excuse me. Um, I thought about this earlier this year, actually. I was thinking I don't know that Jefferson's better than Waring. He's, yeah, no. he's faster. He's a little better in the pocket. But Waring, I think, has a better arm, is more accurate, short field, because Jefferson's pretty good when he airs it out. Mm-hmm. He just, I don't know what it is. He can't sh- throw short That's at all. That's what I was thinking, too. Like, Je- the one thing was Waring was not really airing it out as much as I think Jefferson would have at least tried. Theo Day, the quarterback for you and I, was kept trying over and over again. It sometimes connected, but yeah. I blame that on the, on the uh, play call. Yeah. I've had beef with ISU's play call and when regards to – uh, airing the ball out. Here's my thing. We're the NBFC is a grounded pound league, as a lot of FCS schools are, as a lot of college schools are. Hear me out. Yeah. Why don't you try to become the program that air that throws the ball? Like, I, I mean, if you have someone would, with an arm too, why not? Right. Yeah. Like I think Waring can throw the ball. I, I get the wariness. Him being what a redshirt sophomore or yeah. redshirt freshman, maybe one of the two. I get like some wariness there, but. I don't know. It's just it's really bothered me in my three years covering football that that they don't air it out at all. One other thing about this game, um, Cole Mueller was not as dominant as we've seen him. He never really had that play where he kind of broke free. I mean, he chipped away a decent bit. He got 51 yards, had a couple two, three-yard runs that helped set some things mm-hmm. up. But, I mean, we've seen him have 100-plus yard games. We've seen him have 75-yard-plus games this season five or six times. And this one, they got the win despite him never really having that big run. Yeah. I thought the most interesting part about his stat line was the fact he averaged 1.9. I think he was averaging like six or so coming into the game, six or seven at least. I know earlier this season he was averaging nine a carry. So for you and I to limit him to 1.9 is massive. Yeah, for and, sure. And really, ISU does not win this game without uh, Clayton Isabel's first quarter pick six. Yeah, that was nice. Um, Theo, that was a bad pass by Theo Day, too. That, for sure. Isabel kind of read that whole thing go down, and I think everyone in the stadium saw it happening, too. And he, he took that all the way. It was do a nice play. Do you know he had a broken hand? No. Well, Dang. so... No, uh, oh, Isabel. Isabel, yeah. yeah. So I guess he heard it in Missouri State. And after the press conference, uh, Benson was talking to Mike about about his cast. Yeah. Because Benson filled in for Randy, whatever, right. whatever, not important. Um, and he was like, yeah, he heard it during Missouri State, but there wasn't a cast on until this week for some reason. Huh. Yeah, so. Weird. We don't know. It, very confused about that. Um, besides that, ISU got their scoring from a 44-yard field goal by Aiden Bresnahan, and then that second half offensively, 
They got zero first downs. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> uh, they were able to walk it off, though, with a 27-yard touchdown pass from Waring to Nagel yeah, in the back like, of the corner. Like, obviously being a little sarcastic about that, but, like, yeah, they, they, they figured it out when it mattered towards yeah. the end. And ultimately... One of my friends texted me after the game. I was talking to him about it, and he was like, oh, so this mean I – he doesn't know much about it. He's like, does this mean I who's going to make the FCS playoffs? I'm like, no, but the Panthers aren't either now. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, that's, the, that's the best reading we got out of it. ISU's not, but the Panthers have a long road to, to making it back now too. Because, yeah. I mean, they were looking like they had a chance before before we beat them this week. They had two big wins the week before. Dude, that, that, they were red hot coming uh-huh. in too. Um, I mean, I they really... couldn't score. What? They couldn't score. No, they couldn't. I mean, they scored twice in the fourth quarter, which I really wasn't surprised about because the defense had held it up really well. And you, right. if you limit them to 10 points, that's fine. Right. Um, but, yeah, they just they were able to just grind off some clock. They were really they were the only team in the red zone that game, which is pretty yeah. interesting to me. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention, though, it was about um, kind of like how they weren't airing it out. Spack even kind of mentioned that, that they were being very wary until overtime when they had uh, wearing, like, look for Nagel, which hmm. they've had a good connection this year also. Yeah, they, I mean, I feel like that's something they could have looked into earlier then <clears throat> because yeah, the first time they tried, they scored a touchdown. I mean, they didn't score an offensive <laughs> touchdown until overtime. So the first time they let them to actually try and connect with Nagel, they, it worked in the end zone, I'm saying, at least. Yeah. They were very adamant on running on first down. I don't yeah. think they threw it all on first down, mm-hmm. which I think was a huge mistake because at, at that point, they're all all the defensive players from you and I are probably going to guess they're going to go run play first. Yeah. And that could be a big reason why uh, Mueller got bottled up so, so much that game. Probably because it was predictable. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else. You got anything else for football? Nope, but we have some volleyball to talk. For sure. Um, the streak is over, unfortunately, for Redbird Volleyball. What was it, eight games? Yeah, or yeah, it was eight. Eight games. Eight games. They almost, almost did nine. It was a five-set loss to Indiana State on Saturday. I know you were there for that one. That was a good game. Yeah. I, they swept five games in a row prior to that. They lost, I want to say, the first set. That was a weird game, though, because – they played really, really sloppily. Mm-hmm. Sloppily? Sloppy? Sloppy, yeah. yeah. In the first set. Dominated the second set. Played yeah. really sloppy again in that third set. Dominated in the fourth set again. And then, like, they didn't really play sloppy in the fifth set, but they for sure made a couple mistakes and barely lost. I want to say it was like 15-12. Yeah, 15-12 I'm looking at here. I mean, I, that's something after watching them for like two, almost two full seasons now. Like, that's something that we could have like predicted. Like, when they're not, like when they're off and on sharp, they don't usually win. Like, the, yeah. the only game where I can see that was like the Bradley game so earlier this season where they lost set two and three like badly and then they like snapped out of it. Like, they usually don't snap out of it. If they do, it's usually only for a set or so. But it's a little bit annoying because it was like a huge win streak, and I didn't think Indiana State would be the one to bring it down. If anything, I thought it would end this weekend because now it gets into like the big dogs. Literally. I kind of what's the standings looking like right now? So I pulled that up actually before we started talking. So standings right now: Loyola is top with twelve wins, then Bradley and ISU have eleven, and then Valpo has nine. And you can't—I bet you can't guess who they're playing this weekend and then next Friday. 
Loyola, <laughs> Loyola Valpo and Bradley. And that's what Johnson said too the other day. She said, you know, we like to take it one game at a time, but also we have to look into account that this weekend before the tournament is going to be the biggest weekend of the season. For sure. Valpo will be tough, but Loyola, that's going to be the really tough one. Yeah. Even if ISU walks away with the win at Loyola, they, they, it's not a guarantee to the top seed because they would still need Loyola still to, have to play another yeah. game. And I let me look at who Loyola plays the, their last game before the tournament. Um, but, yeah, because then they all – well, then ISU also has to probably beat Bradley then too. For sure. They for sure have to beat Bradley. And, I mean, that's also. very doable. Don't get me wrong. They did it once already this season, but they, and they already beat Loyola. But Loyola, despite losing to ISU, Loyola has kept up with ISU by more than a game. I mean, they're still leading despite ISU's eight-game win streak, which is pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, they've only lost one other game in conference besides the ISU game, which so, must have came this weekend. So, actually, after – that's weird. After ISU plays Loyola, Loyola plays two more games, at Drake and at Northern Iowa. Yeah, they're they're a game behind for some reason. They which, got swept by Valpo on Friday. Yeah, and Leah was excited about that. In the they they found that out in the press conference. Like while we were doing the press conference, they found that out live, and the team started yelling and everything. And Leah, that's when she said something about how it'll all come down to this weekend specifically. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else. Yeah. Good luck to them this weekend. Uh, obviously had a really decent season so far with a big win streak after starting out slow and. They have a chance to really cement themselves as the as the uh, the front runner this weekend before the MGC tournament. So hopefully they do it. Yeah, um, that's our show for you. Be sure to follow along all things ISU athletics at thevedetteonline.com. Follow our main account at vedette. No, excuse me, at the underscore vedette. Follow our sports account at vedette underscore sports. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Say hi. Hey!